As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. You still have the ability, if you want to at any point in time, to basically stop making the payments. The previous owner has the right to take the property back over. It's an easy way for you to walk away from a deal without any risk like there would be if you obviously you had a bank loan on a property you can't just walk away from it best ever listeners before today's episode i want to invite you to join us in keystone colorado february 20th through 22nd it is the 2020 best ever conference and not only do i want to invite you to join us i want to invite you to earn 15 percent for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the best ever conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Peter Conti, how you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. And to all of the best ever listeners out there, thanks for joining us today. Yep. And a little bit about Peter. He is the founder of Real Estate 101, began investing in 1990 and is based in Annapolis, Maryland. So with that being said, Peter, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. Thanks for all of you for tuning in. And my focus is really in commercial real estate. I got started investing in 1990. And at the time I was working as an auto mechanic. And while I enjoyed fixing cars, it was a lot of fun. I, it wasn't going to really take me financially in the direction I wanted to go. And so I got started investing in real estate. I've done everything from single family homes to commercial properties, apartments, shopping centers, land development, all kinds of stuff actually all across the country. So had a lot of fun with it over the years. Shopping centers, do you still invest in them? Currently, no. The changes in the commercial real estate market were a little more cautious unless there is a definite play on doing like WeWork type facility or something like that. But the interesting thing is that real estate is always changing. That's one of the things that I love it. And that's why I'm still involved with it today is 
it's always challenging and interesting. Even though I'm working on a much smaller basis, all I do these days is just basically help out consulting with a handful of clients. But I just love doing deals and I love looking at stuff and finding what we call the deal within the deal. Mm-hmm. What's an example of a deal within a deal? Well, a lot of people go out and they may learn, for example, how to use the cap rate formula and how to convert the net operating income of an apartment building into a value. And the trouble is, if that's all you're going on and you're just looking at the information, if you're looking at retail deals, all this stuff just from uh, commercial real estate brokers and that type of thing, most of the deals aren't going to look really stunning. They're kind of retail, we'll sell the property for top dollar if someone comes along type of thing. I've seen people have made the mistake of spending their first year or two basically analyzing deals and never finding one to get to a point where they start talking to the broker and more importantly, directly to the seller, which is really your question is, hey, it's a great property, but tell me more about your situation. What's going on with you? Why would you ever consider selling a property like this? It looks like the thing's cash flowing. Why would you ever consider selling it? And then just shutting up and being quiet, listen for what they tell you, maybe by the tone of their voice, what they're not telling you. And I generally encourage people to go back and ask that same question a number of times on a commercial property as well as single family houses to really find out what's going on. That's where you find out what their problems are. And if you can solve those problems as a real estate investor that works in a way for you to also make a profit, then you're moving ahead on putting a deal together. When you've asked that question, why would you consider selling it? What's an answer that you've received? Gosh, over the years, I've heard everything from oh, we just thought we'd put it on the market and see if someone would pay full price kind of kind of answers to my son died out back behind the house here in the drainage ditch and we just need to get rid of this property immediately type of stuff, which you, know, you hate to see that type of thing. But as real estate investors, we solve people's problems and there's a broad range of problems out there. Everything from people who are going bankrupt to medical issues or people towards the end of their life, all types of situations like that. And My experience over the years has been if you can go in with a passion and an eagerness to get to know someone, find out really what's going on in a good way, put together a deal that's a win for them and a win for you too, then you're going to be successful. What's the last deal you closed on? Let's see. uh, Deal just about a month ago. This was a deal I did along with one of my clients. He's located in Northern California. It's a 10,000 square foot office retail and had a section that was a restaurant at one point in time. The property is worth 1.2 million. We were willing to pay 950,000. We were able to get the bank that was selling it all the way down to 840,000. And then we found a local investor there who had money available that they wanted to invest. And even though we could have closed it on our own, we got the investor to put up all the money to buy it and all the money to fix it up and no payments for the first year. So pretty exciting deal there. And how do you structure it on the GP side? Generally, this was a deal basically just put together from the two of us. So it was a lot simpler than some of these big fancy syndication deals with Mm -hmm. all sorts of partners and things. So it was really quite straightforward. Got it. So it was just 50-50? Yep. And in that type of deal, so 10,000 square feet, office, retail, used to have a restaurant, What's the business plan? The plan is to get it leased up over the next one to two years. We were able to arrange the financing where there's no payments for the first year. It has a one-year term, but it can be extended for a second-year term if we need it. Basically, get the property leased up where it's stable and operating. 
at that point in time, bring some long-term financing in place and decide, is it something we want to sell or do we want to keep it long-term? My guess is we'll keep it five or 10 years at least. And how did you all come across this? I think you said the bank was selling it. Yeah, this one came through relationships. I know and listening to some of your, your other podcasts, it's something that comes up time and time again. And building relationships is a tough one because all of us want to go out. We want to make a relationship, but we want to also get a deal. If not next week, we want it yesterday, right? And relationships take time. It's a matter of letting people know who you are, letting them know that you're investing in real estate, giving them an idea of what you are looking for and what you're not looking for, and then providing them feedback over time when they send you stuff to say, hey, thanks for sending me that deal. That's not quite what I'm looking for. Things 100% leased up and it's been fully renovated. I'm looking for something that has an upside to it, but thanks for thinking about me. Here's Mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. And then defining clearly your focus in the market, whatever it is. Generally with commercial properties, we're looking for something like this one that wasn't a hundred percent vacant. Actually the previous owner was still in there, was paying rent to the bank after the bank had foreclosed on it. So part of the game plan is getting him to move out in a good way. How do you do that? Well, generally what I found over the years is if you can do what I call a friendly eviction as opposed to fighting somebody, and it boils down to basically, I guess bribing maybe isn't a politically correct word, but (laughs) finding a way to make it where they decide that they're going to move out of the property and cooperate with you. And generally it involves paying them some money or working with them. In this case, he's got a bunch of furniture and stuff in there. He wants some time to be able to do a kind of a going out of business sale type of thing and get most of his inventory sold before he moves out of there. Let's talk about the last full transaction deal you've done. Tell us about it, please. Or full Uh, cycle deal, I should say. Gosh, I've been involved in so many. The last one that closed. Yeah, there's one down in El Paso, Texas. That's a shopping center deal. That one was interesting because a lot of shopping stuff we've been staying away from for reasons I mentioned earlier, but this particular one was available at a good price. It was a combination of some national tenants, but other more mom and pop type businesses. It was just located in a growing area down there where we liked the market. We liked what things were doing. And that was a deal that we put together with myself and other investors coming in. We've got a total of eight people in the deal all together. And I like deals like that where I can own a little piece of something across the country. And I've been there, I've seen it, but I generally will just look at a photo now and then to see what it's looking like or get an update from our partner who's in the area managing that deal. Tell us about the deal that you've lost the most amount of money on. The deal that I've lost the most amount of money on, there was an apartment building deal out in Oklahoma City that we put together where the plan was to buy the property, and then bring in a HUD financing for it. HUD had a program at that point in time where they would provide all the money for you to completely renovate the units inside and out. We're going to do new roofs, new appliances, new basically everything to basically reposition and turn the apartment complex around. It was 276 units and nice property, a nice area. The problem was this was my one deal that well, let's see, another one I lost 10000 on, but this is the, the one deal I lost when the market turned back in 2008, 2009. And unfortunately, we were in a position where we had all the boxes checked off. We met all the requirements for HUD. We submitted our applications, got everything in place. 
and then they are kind of dragging their feet because the market is changing and then they change their underwriting requirements and are projecting our proposal for refinancing on it, put us back to the drawing board, spent another four, five, six months going back to them again. And we went through a number of times going back to HUD as HUD tightened up its requirements. And that's one of the few projects that I've had go south in my life. So it does happen, but Mm -hmm. I tend to be pretty conservative investing. A lot of the deals I've been involved in over the years are things with creative financing, going in and buying an apartment building, for example, using a master lease. Type of deals I like are deals like that, where you basically structure it, where if for some reason the deal doesn't work out, you've gotten into the deal with very little of your own capital, right? Really, without using investor's capital, because you don't want to lose investor's capital either. But having it set up where, worst case, if you had to take that property and turn it back over to the previous owner, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And one of the nice things about that, I always tell someone that I'm working with, look, you've done really well to get to the point where you are today. The last thing you want to do is go out and get into some real estate deal that's going to risk the assets and the credibility that you've built up at this point in your life. So we like to structure our deals where you've got the upside, but the downside is, is extremely limited. Most cases, we're going to try and limit the downside to where your downside is if you have to walk away from this deal or it doesn't work out, you're going to lose your time, but you're not going to lose money. That makes sense. And yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about the master lease stuff. On the 276 unit, just to close that out, how much did you end up losing? That one, I don't like to say the number, but it was $350,000. Got it. And what happened with the property? It ended up getting taken back over from the bank that we had brought in as part of the, the original purchase. They were carrying a note on it for the time period where we were getting it turned around and getting the HUD financing in place. And I know that happened to a lot of people. So when you apply for future loans and they ask about that, is that generally accepted from a lender standpoint that, hey, that was a crazy time? with a recession. So we understand that that took place. So you're still able to move forward with future loans approvals? Well, there's two parts to that. One is I didn't sign personally on that. So it didn't affect my personal credit rating. I've found, Joe, that over the years, there's so many ways to buy properties, buying it, leaving the existing financing in place, getting owners to carry financing, doing something like a master lease, bringing in an investor who maybe wants to take some of that upfront risk for the the first year or two, like we did with that property in Northern California. The way I've invested, there's not a ton of times that I've gone out to a bank and said, hey, pretty please, I'm down on my knees. I'll fill out whatever applications you want. Here's a blood sample and part of my firstborn (laughs) son, just because I don't know. I've always had a hard time going in and talking to someone who's making a tenth of what you can make as a real estate investor who holds the reins on a bank loan. Mm-hmm. You know, not that we don't do deals with local banks and stuff, but there's so many ways to go out if you're willing to learn how to qualify someone and connect with someone and really find out what's going on. A lot of times the discussion that we end up having with them goes something along the lines of, hey, you've got this apartment building here. You've done a great job with it. We generally are looking for properties that people have owned for a period of time My rule of thumb is I want someone to have owned it for at least 15 years is kind of one of the the rules that we use. Okay. You're looking for someone who's what I call a lazy landlord. They've had the property. Yeah, they probably really worked and got the rents up to market and spruced it up 15, 20, 
years ago when they first bought it. But now they're in a position where they probably are set. If they've been successful in real estate, they probably have all the money that they're going to need for the rest of their life. Any other money that they make is just going to end up going to their heirs. Maybe their kids aren't interested in real estate or don't appreciate what they have given to them. And they've chosen to just take the easy route, which is to not raise the rents, not keep it up to market, not stay on top of all the maintenance and repairs. and allows us investors to go in and sit down and talk to them and say, gosh, you've done such a great job. What we're doing is positioning that person as someone who's done really well and kind of speaking to their sense of ego, mm-hmm. but also saying, for those of you who are listening, maybe if you're younger and you think that isn't a disadvantage, it's not. It's a huge advantage because what you say is, gosh, I'd like to be as successful as you someday. If you were in my shoes, what would you suggest doing? Or what if we were to do something like this? The property, yeah, it's probably worth $1.5 million once everything's all completely up to market and with everything fixed up. But as you know, the rents are low. There's, there's different maintenance and repairs and things. The property's going to need some capital put in it to really get you top dollar for it. What ways could we structure something where it would give me enough time to go in and really do the work on the property to get it up to snuff where, you know, we both know it's not all the way up to where it could be. Is there a way I could make you payments over a period of time? Or if I got you X amount of dollars per month for the first year or two, and then we had a closing at that point in time and cast you out there, is that something we should be talking about? Or you probably hate the idea, huh? We always like to go with negative phrasing. Mm-hmm. So if they say no, they're really saying yes. So we'll end right. it. You probably hate that idea, huh? And they say, no, 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 I want to find out more. What would that look like? And then at that point, we're shifting into rather than telling them how great it is to work with us and how long we've been around, like a lot of people make the mistake of doing. Right. We generally go right back and say, well, gosh, I'm curious, what is it about that? There was a way that we could get you a steady $12,000 a month over time from the property. What is it about that even makes us something worth spending the time talking about? Mm-hmm. Gets them to jump in to say, here's the reasons why I want to do the deal and getting that part of it really down in the seller's mind and of course in our mind as well, knowing what they need to achieve and how they want to do it is very helpful for putting a deal together rather than here's what we can do and here's a photo of our before and after and here's all yep. our properties and going into what I call sales mode. Mm-hmm. Very smart. Instead of you doing the talking, you're prompting and then they're doing the talking and then you're collaborating on the deal structure and they're taking the lead based on what they're looking for. Yeah, ideally, if you do it correctly, you are controlling the situation, but you're doing it in a manner where you put your thumb exactly on it, Joe. They feel like they're coming up with this idea of how to structure the deal and put it together. And I found some of the best deals come as a result of that. You and the seller sitting down together, putting your heads together to say, what could we come up with? Tell me why this would work for you gosh, I'm not sure we could do that. If we could, is that something you'd really want to do? And kind of having a reluctant buyer standpoint so that it's almost like they're talking you into doing the deal rather than you trying to twist their arm into doing the deal. Mm -hmm. The one real big benefit besides a much funner way to put together deals is it helps deals, I found, stay together. We have a saying that friction holds deals together. So I had a car years ago. It was a 65 Oldsmobile. I put an ad in the newspaper. That was before Craigslist. said 500 bucks. Some guy called. He came over that morning, gave me 500 bucks and drove off. 
And they're always thinking, gosh, maybe I could have gotten six or 700. Mm-hmm. Same thing's true with a real estate deal. If you help somebody really struggle to go through the process of putting the deal together with you, then it's much more likely that they're going to feel like they did their job to get a good value for the property and structure in a way that's good for them. And it's much less likely that they're going to come back two or three days later saying, I decided I didn't want to sign the deal because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Thank you for that. And since you talked about master lease in particular, I'd love for you to just describe what that is and then maybe some nuances of it. I've done a master lease. That's the only deal I lost money on. However, it wasn't because of the master lease. It was because I messed up. So the structure of it, I think, is a great structure. So what is it? And then what are some tips for doing a master lease? Yeah, sure. For all of our best ever listeners out there, this is something you definitely want to know about. It's not something that you're probably going to be able to learn how to do and then just contact a commercial real estate broker and put a deal together next week. It's definitely a deal that you're going to put together in the right situation with somebody who's got the motivation and also a willingness to go along with a deal like this. But big picture is, I think for most of us that are here today, you and I are listening as part of the the collective group we have here. You probably are familiar with lease options on houses where you lease or rent the house for a period of time, and then you have a price that you can buy it for in two years, five years, eight years, whenever down the line. It's basically doing the same thing, for example, with an apartment building where you agree with the owner of the apartment building that you're going to pay them a set amount each month as your payment as part of buying the apartment building. You're basically leasing the entire apartment building. And the agreement with the seller allows you to, in exchange for making that payment to the seller of the property, you're going to do all the work that's involved. You or, of course, your property manager is going to collect all the rents, deal with vendors, pay all the expenses, everything, including the property taxes on the property. And then one set solid amount each and every month, the same amount, by the way, is going to go to the seller. In fact, when we're talking to sellers about putting together a master lease, that's one of the things that we point out that they're going to get that amount each and every month. There's not going to be a month when they have to put in a couple thousand dollars because of a problem with the boiler or whatever, other months where they make more, other months where they're making less, they get that set amount and they can count on that each and every month as part of you coming in and basically taking full charge of the property. It's almost like you get all of the rights of owning the property, but rather than having to come up with 20, 30% down payment like you would if you're using conventional financing, oftentimes with a master lease, you're able to put a deal together where the amount of money going into the deal is very little. A lot of times, in fact, most cases on the ones we've done, the seller doesn't get any money up front other than their monthly payments. Although there's certainly properties where you have to have some capital to maybe put a new roof on it or deal with some of the situations of the property where it hasn't been run well. But that's quite a bit different from needing 20 or 30% down on a big property. Then you also agree on a purchase price that you're willing to pay for the property and the seller is willing to accept. And then the third thing you agree on is how long of a time period you're going to have to actually close and take title on the property. Now, when we're putting deals together with a master lease, we'll call it a lease purchase. We won't call it a lease option. The difference legally between those two is have the option to buy, but you don't have to buy with a lease purchase 
you have agreed that you're definitely going to buy it. But what I found, Joe, is that when you structure these deals, one of the things that we do is we put together an actual purchase contract along with the lease agreement. And in that purchase contract, there's default language that if the buyer defaults, this is what happens. And if the seller defaults, this is what happens. And one of the things that we found is very valuable in any real estate transaction is to always be the person to volunteer to, I'll go ahead and pay for document preparation. If you're the one that puts the documents together, then you control the language in the documents. So in a master lease situation, the purchase contract that goes along with it, it's always going to have a clause that says in the event that the buyer defaults or doesn't do something in this contract, basically close and buy the property three years from now. In that case, if the buyer defaults, the seller shall keep from the buyer all amounts paid to the seller as full and complete liquidated damages. Now, I'm not an attorney. Please check with your own attorney before you use any of this advice that I'm giving you here today. But we found that that's a very good way to be able to go into a property. You've structured it. You put it together where, for all intensive purposes, it's a lease purchase or a master lease on a commercial property. Yet you still have the ability if you want to at any point in time to basically stop making the payments, the previous owner has the right to take the property back over. It's an easy way for you to walk away from a deal without any risk. Like there would be if you obviously you had a bank loan on a property, you can't just walk away from it. And one other thing to mention, I actually delayed my closing because we didn't have the lender's approval of us entering into this arrangement. And I wanted to make sure that the lender was on board. Otherwise that could spell trouble later when you go to exercise the option or during the process of the master lease if yeah, the lender is not aware of the arrangement yeah. you're making with the seller. I found if you're ever putting a deal together where someone's telling you that they want to do a silent second or something that we don't want to tell the lender about this, that's the last thing you want to do in yep. today's environment. Definitely full disclosure to all parties involved. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? The best real estate advice I have ever is basically... I started out as an auto mechanic and my belief is that if someone else has gone out and done something, then chances are pretty good that you can do it too. So if I can make it starting out as an auto mechanic, you most certainly can too. We're doing a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Okay. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. What's the best ever song you like to play on the piano? Best ever song that I like to play on the piano is As the Deer Panteth. It's a song that we played 25 years ago when my wife and I got married. And it was a fun one to pick up and learn. I just did that over the last year or so. Best ever book you've recently read? Best ever book is one that I read a number of years ago, but I picked it up a couple of weeks ago because I wanted one of my kids to go through it. It would be Unlimited Power by Anthony Robbins. Some of the stuff he goes through in there is a little bit cheesy, but you know what? It really works. What's the best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal that I've done, that would be a master lease deal on an apartment building where I went in 
without any money whatsoever. It was a nothing down deal. Ended up owning the property for just over 15 years. Controlled it with a master lease for the first six years. Then brought in new financing at that point in time because the equity that we built up through the master lease, raising the rents and things, we weren't required to bring any money to the table at the refi. And the property was really sending off some good cash flow, put it on a 10-year loan amortization schedule and had the property just about all the way paid off when I ended up selling it for right at about $1.2 million. So I hate to share that with people, but hey, you asked for best ever. There are deals out there where they don't happen every day, but that was a deal where I got in it with none of my own money, used the cash flow from the property to fix it up over time, ended up by the time I sold the property, ended up making on that one property over $1 million. And that's enough to get you excited about real estate than probably need to look into doing something else. <laughs> Do you 1031 or did you just cash out, pay long-term capital gains tax? That one, I had some other things that were involved. I had a, a business that I had bought and we ended up making some changes on that and closing that business down. So I actually had some loss carry forward stuff business-wise that I was able to balance out against that. So tax-wise, we came out okay on that deal. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? For me, what I do is uh, there's a condition a lot of people aren't aware of. It's called chronic regional pain syndrome. And it, it's something that I experienced a number of years back. I should have stayed off motorcycles, but I convinced my wife that it'd be okay if I got a dirt bike for myself and my son. Ended up falling, shattering my hip. And unfortunately, they crushed the nerve in my leg while they're working on me. And I got this condition where basically it's sort of like phantom pain. Your brain goes into a loop and gets stuck on that something's hurting you. So even after it heals up, it still continues to hurt. And my solution for that was I decided I, I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. I, I said, if I can go all the way from Georgia to Maine and hike 2,000 miles, my leg would have to be better. And quite a long story behind that. But I did hike all the way from Georgia to Maine. It was tremendously the perfect thing that I needed for my leg at that point in time. I'm involved with a number of organizations that are both helping people that have similar conditions like that and also starting to spread the word to let people know that something doesn't heal up after six to eight weeks, particularly if the amount of pain that's involved is much more intense than it should be, then they need to find someone that specializes in this condition that can take a look at them and get them some of the help that they need. It's, it's just heartbreaking to meet some of these people that have spent a good portion of their life in ongoing chronic pain. Best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you're doing? Probably the best way would be if they want to grab a sample copy of my commercial real estate investing for dummies book. If they just go to petersfreebook.com, I've set that up for the best ever listeners there where they can just go in, enter their information, and we'll zip one right out to you. Well, Peter, thank you for being on the show talking about the deals that have not gone well and the deals that have gone well and talking about how to approach the conversation with an owner when you're ideally wanting to do creative financing. Enjoyed that a lot. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Joe. Ever wonder how the top in real estate got there? The Invest This podcast hosted by real estate investor Scott Bauer interviews the top names in the industry, giving you the tips and tricks that help you catapult your real estate business to success. Find them at investthispodcast.com. Best ever listeners, go to bec20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference. 
BEC20.com.